Um, Today, if you're with us, I'm continuing in our series in Acts. Uh, I think it's appropriate to kind of set this up again, because if you're joining us online or you're here for, you know, the first time, or maybe you didn't, you weren't here when Sean set it up two weeks ago, we're walking through Acts differently. So rather than walk through Acts uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, kind of chronologically, we're going to do it differently. And I'm excited about this. We're walking through from a thematic or, you know, a theme or subject matter perspective, which is different because Acts is a unique book. It's unique in that it's told from many different perspectives, not just the perspective of one author. It's told from many different perspectives in lots of geographical locations and over a large span of time. And so there's a lot of different dynamics going on there. Um, And so that's actually, if you haven't been with us, you could have picked one of these up in the back. You can still get one. Um, Or as Jamie will point out, um, you can get this on the app or you can get it online on our website. And what it is, is it's just a pamphlet to help you walk along with us. And it gives you an idea of who main characters and themes are, a map of the area that churches and ministry was done, and this great timeline on the back that kind of shows you how Acts is broken up into these three areas, apostolic area expansion and missional. And why that's great is it shows you where the chapters fall. Because today, like last week with the Holy Spirit that Mike did a great job presenting, today and the weeks coming, we're going to be moving around Scripture. We're going to be moving all over the book of Acts. And so we want you to be able to follow with us and kind of understand, okay, this is the developed church, developing church. Oh, this is this person speaking. And hopefully that helps you a little bit. I would also encourage you... um, in your, in your own time, right, in your own studies, in your morning time, evening time, lunch time, whatever it is, pick up your Bible and read through Acts with us. Even if you're not a big reader, even if you, uh, uh, um, you know, haven't been in Acts in a while or you're already doing another study in the Bible, add this one in. Read through Acts with us. Start at the beginning and read all the way through over this 12 weeks with us. And if you get through it once, I'd say read it again. If you get through it again, read it a third time. Uh, as a leadership team, we've been reading through Acts a lot, and I encourage you to do it because it's going to help you as we go through the study, but it's going to help you connect closer to God's Word. It's going to help you connect to His message, connect to His church, connect to their struggles, their strengths, their celebrations, and I really believe the more we connect with God's Word, the more He connects with us, the more we connect in a loving way with Him, and the more we can all grow together in in the message of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you to read along with us in Acts. Um, So today I get to do the third message in the series, right? We did an intro, um, we did one on the Holy Spirit, and now I'm going to talk about another foundational concept, something maybe you hadn't thought about, but it really undergirds what is developed in the church in Acts, in the, the apostles, the disciples of Christ, church, and their missions. And it's the concept of accountability, So we're going to look at accountability. We're going to look at it three ways. We're going to look at what it is to be accountable for the believer with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and His Word. We're going to look at accountability uh, with the believer and the church, the the organized church and its leadership. And we're going to look at what it looks like to be accountable between believers, kind of that intimate, accountable relationship between believers. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to walk a lot of scriptures, so if you've got your Bibles, get them ready. Um, Full disclosure, to communicate better, I should have gotten all the scriptures on the screen. I'm going to flip a lot of scripture today, um, and so I hope you join me in that. Um, But as we approach this, 
I find that accountability is a bit different or a bit difficult for our society. Um, it was difficult in the church. They had to make a lot of decisions, but it's difficult for us just in who we are. This idea of being accountable or being responsible for your actions and not just responsible for your actions, but responsible for your actions opposite somebody or something else whom has authority and influence over you. And that's what accountability is. And as I was preparing for this message, I was reading a bunch of articles, but I saw an article, it was in a business magazine actually, and they were talking about and depicting how we had seen such a swift and rapid decline in accountability. Like this, they detailed out this massive decline in accountability in businesses, industries, and global markets over the last like decade. And there was an interview with this expert, and they asked, well, why have we seen this? And they said, well, what's risen is that there's been a tendency for businesses, full industries, global markets to avoid responsibility. When something goes wrong, when there's conflict, when a product's not delivered right, when they are trying to fudge the numbers and make more money, what they do is rather than take responsibility for their actions, they hide it under the rug, they shuffle it, they distract from it, they run from it or avoid it. They don't take responsibility for it. They don't take accountability for what's gone wrong. And they said what happens is when you see that start to happen in one area of an industry or global market, it happens all over because nobody wants to fall behind. And then when it happens there, it starts happening in individual businesses and they start doing it. And then what happens there is when your leadership or your, your, your management of individual businesses start avoiding accountability, the employees see it and they start doing it as well. And so you have this entire business world to a large extent that has started to avoid accountability and just wait and take, you know, pay the penalty if they actually get called on it. Just shuffling things under the rug, hiding from it, avoiding major issues so they can keep up. And they said the bigger problem there is if you're doing it in one area of your life, you start to do it in other areas of your life. And so we avoid accountability in our own personal lives. And that's why we had seen such this swift decline in accountability. And the question to the, uh, the, the expert there was, well, how do we get back to an environment of accountability? And I thought this was really interesting. This is what gravitated me towards it with Acts. It wasn't a really complex thing. They said, here's what you got to do to get back to an environment of accountability. You have a responsibility for your actions. You have to have leaders who are honorable and balanced. Honorable and balanced leaders who represent in their day-to-day lives, their actions repeatedly over and over again, responsibility. That's what you have to have. We've got to have leaders that can show it, not just in a mission statement or a value statement or here's what our company represents, but actually demonstrate it every day, day to day in their lives. This is responsible decision making. This is me taking accountability when things go right and sell wrong and celebrating when things go right. That's what we got to do. And I thought it was really interesting. The thing that pulled me this, guys, is that when we look at Acts, the early Acts church, the disciples following Jesus and the apostles, they had that leader. They had Jesus. Jesus was an example to them that they walked with, talked with, learned from, who exemplified responsibility day to day. He took responsibility when things went right. He took responsibility when things were opposed to them, when people didn't like it. And he taught that he himself was accountable 
to God the Father. He was accountable to teach what God the Father gave him. He was accountable for the message that God had given through him. So they had, the apostles who were with Jesus, had this this leader with them who was day to day taking responsibility for what happened and was a picture of accountability, and they flourished in that environment. But as we get into Acts, right away in chapter 1, that's going to get tested. I want you to follow with me today. It's going to get tested because as Sean, Pastor Sean spoke two weeks ago, the ascension gets described in chapter one and Jesus is taken up and taken away from them. And what they're left with is that his commands, his teachings and their commitment to him and the decisions as to whether or not they're going to live on, on mission and be accountable to what he had taught. And so follow with me. I want you to see these last commands that come from Jesus here. Uh, Acts chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 4. It says, while, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Right? For the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit they will be baptized into. Skip down with me to verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So as Jesus, right before he leaves, he gives these commands. There's three distinct ones we see here. One is don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit who's going to come on you in power and then be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so he gives these three commands and he's gone. And it's this pivotal moment where this small group of followers are left with the decision on how will they act? What will they do? Will they be accountable to Jesus and the commands he's gave him? Will they be accountable to God? That's the first section of accountability we're looking at. Will they be accountable to God and his commands in their life? Or will they fall away and be accountable to themselves, their desires, the culture and people around them? And we get an answer pretty quick. We get an answer pretty quick. If you'll follow along with me as we move to chapter 2, right? So we move to chapter 2 just after they had replaced Judas we get their first challenge to this accountability. It says, On the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as fire appeared and rested on each of them. And in verse 4 it says, They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They chose to be responsible and accountable to God for their actions. And so they stayed as he commanded And God delivered on his promise. And as they stayed in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And I want you to to consider this, right? If you're familiar with this passage, sometimes we skip over and reread on. But put yourself in this place. Jesus Christ, his last words there, his promises said that the Holy Spirit was going to come on them in power. So they waited in anticipation of this Holy Spirit coming on them in power. But we don't get any definition as to what that's going to look like. What's going to happen? What does power of the Holy Spirit look like? And so they're sitting there and waiting, and the Holy Spirit comes in power, and the first action that they have, the first interaction without Jesus is the Holy Spirit gets them speaking in tongues. They're speaking different languages. I don't think any of them probably actually thought this is what power of the Holy Spirit looked like. They start speaking in tongues, and and as we read on in Acts 2, 
right? We go in verse 5, it says, when this is happening, there were Jews in Jerusalem, devout men dwelling there from every nation under heaven. It was, in verse 6, a multitude, right? So at this sound, that multitude, all of these Jews come together, and they're looking at the apostles, they're looking at these followers of Jesus, this small group whose leader's no longer there, and they're saying, what's going on? What are you doing? Right? What are you doing? It's like culture. It's like the, those religious Jews, those folks were looking at them like, Jesus is gone for a little bit, and now you're acting kind of wild. Not only that, but you're speaking in tongues you didn't know, all of these languages, and it uses these words in chapter, or verse 6. It says, they were bewildered by it. Not just bewildered. Down in verse 12, it says, they were amazed and perplexed, saying, what does this mean? And so we have the apostles sitting here, and we have everybody looking at them for a response. What are you doing? How do you explain this? What's happening? And it went even further than that. It says in verse 13, some of them were mocking them, making fun of them, laughing at them, saying that, well, they must be filled with wine. These guys must be drunk because of how kind of outrageous this scene was. And so you've got a choice, right? We've got a choice of taking responsibility. And are they going to choose to be accountable to God who had promised this to them and take ownership for their actions, even if they couldn't explain it? Or are they going to brush this under the rug like we see culture today? Are they going to run from this, back to the room, stay away from this, run away from the mocking and the laughing to something that maybe is more comfortable, that puts them in a better position? And we see the response right away. In verse 14, what happens is Peter, standing with the 11, decides to take responsibility for their actions and tell them why this is happening. And he takes responsibility and accountability because he knows that above all, they are not accountable to be comfortable. They're not accountable to make the people who are mocking or laughing them feel better or explain to them. They are accountable to God and what he had commanded of them. And so he says this, Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter stands up and says, here's the deal. I'm going to take responsibility for this. And I'm going to tell you what's happening because I'm not accountable to you to make up some excuse or run away from this. I'm accountable to God who has done this. And he reads scripture. He reads scripture in Joel and Psalms. And he talks about Jesus, the ministry he had, and how this is what Jesus had commanded. And he ends it in verse 36 and says, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter stands up with the 11 and takes responsibility for his actions. He says, this is wild. Yes, I get it. You're laughing at us, everything, but I'm accountable to tell you why it's happening because God is my ultimate source of authority and accountability. And you have to wonder, right? Why? You've got, you're the small group. You're the small group and all of these Jews from all the multitude, from all the nations, from all the other worlds knows that your leader's gone and they're looking at you and they're laughing and mocking. What worldly benefit is there for you to try to explain this and something that they're not going to accept? Why not just run away and come back into the crowd and profit off of that? But I want you to see what happens when we take responsibility for Christ's 
interacting in our lives, when we are accountable to Jesus. It says here in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then what does Jesus do? What does God do when we're accountable to him? When we take responsibility, verse 41, it says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. Look at what God does when we take responsibility for our actions and our actions are what is accountable to him. When we follow God's commands and not what the world would have us do. When we know what God wants us to do and we act accordingly, God produces fruit. I want to give you two more examples of what it looks like to be accountable to God in different scenarios. If you walk with me over to chapter 5, chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 talks about amazing things that are happening. We're going to talk about that next week, miracles and healings. People are bringing out the ill, the sick, and the lame, and they're getting healed. The followers are growing. People are following and believing in Jesus and the message of the apostles, but not everybody's happy. It says in verse 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. The high priest. So if you think about this, so we're in Jerusalem with all of these Jews who are seeing in a small group of apostles and disciples of Christ, small but growing group. And for all of these Jews, the, the, the high point, right? The religious leader of, of that, of the Jewish religion, the high priest and his council are jealous and have them arrested. If you're a Jew, you're in Jerusalem and you're looking for what is God's will? What does it look like in my life? How does the sacrificial system work? How is the structure of the priesthood? The high priest in that council is where you're going. That is your level of authority. And so they have them arrested And there's this great scene that happens in the next several verses where an angel gets them out of prison and commands them to go preach in the temple, and they do. And when the high priest finds out they're back in the temple preaching, he has them brought before him. And what he does, we're going to read here in verse 28, is he tries to use his power and authority to get them to run from accountability to Christ. He says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. If you're looking at this, this isn't just some people, some other Jews mocking you and trying to get you to run from accountability. This is the high priest in the council saying, no, you should be accountable to us. Although their their motive is jealousy in their own providence. And they're trying to use that authority and influence on them to get them back down. But look how they respond. In verse 29, it says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior and gave repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And I want, to hear the, I want you to hear this in verse 32 and remember back to what we read in Jesus' last words there. He says, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They are, uh, they've, and when they see the conflict between the high priest and what they're asking and the commands of God, they say, no, we are accountable 
to God above all else. Not only are we accountable to God above all else, but we are accountable to his commands and his mission, which he said we will witness here in Jerusalem with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they take accountability for their actions, even against influence and power. One more picture of accountability opposite God. If we go on further, I want you, we're going to go way into the future of this ministry, kind of at the, the green section, if you have your timeline. I want you to go to Acts 17. No, I, I take that back. Yeah, Acts 17. So I want to go to Acts 17 right at the beginning. So we are in the missional phase of the church. So at this point, we have a church who is advancing, who is growing. Paul's involved. We have people that are known and are still being pursued and persecuted against by the Jewish leadership. At the beginning of this, we've got Paul and Silas, and they're in Thessalonica, and things aren't going well there. And so they're going to be sent away from Thessalonica. And if you come down in verse 10, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away, away from Thessalonica, by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So they go into the Jewish synagogue to begin preaching the word of Jesus to these Jews. And it says in verse 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if things were so. And many of them believed. I think this is a great picture of accountability to God above all else. You see, they could have looked at Paul and Silas and they could have said, look, I know you're being pursued by and people don't like you from our Jewish community, from the Jewish religion, and just rejected the words they gave immediately because of their accountability to the Jewish religion and leaders. They could have gone and said, well, you guys are speaking with influence. There's got to be something there. We'll just accept what you're speaking and give an accountability to Paul and Silas. But what they actually did was they said, you're bringing something to us, claiming it to be truth and in line with God. We're going to go to our ultimate source of accountability, and they check God's word to see if it's true. I think this is a great picture of accountability opposite God. When we are in our lives, our ministries, our church, listening to messages on Sunday morning, we shouldn't just accept truth or reject truth based on our accountability to our own desires or the influence of others around us. We are accountable to be making decisions and accepting truth that's only in line with God. And I wonder as I look at this, how these Jews responded to the message of Jesus Christ. How could things have been different in the other areas where the Jewish leaders just rejected them, would not consult the word, did not go back and be accountable to God and his word, but we're accountable to their own jealousy and desires. So that's three pictures of what it looks like to be accountable to God. But there's something you need to know on that piece above all else is this idea of accountability to God is something that in the end we actually don't have a choice in. So we can choose what we think in the moment in this life and change our accountability. But scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, Paul reiterates that we are ultimately going to be held accountable for our speech, for our action, for our choices to God. You're gonna be accountable, Jesus tells us. We read it in Luke 12. You're gonna be accountable for any ill words you speak. Paul says in Romans 14, we will be accountable for our actions to God. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you're going to be held accountable to God. And so if you're going to be held accountable to God, to the creator, all creation held accountable to him eventually, wouldn't you want to know how he wants you to react? 
Wouldn't you want to know which actions he wants you to be responsible for? Wouldn't you want to know which choices he wants you to take responsibility and make? And the thing is, it's not complex. It's not difficult. It's not something that was secretly given to the apostles or secretly given only through the Holy Spirit to the people he wants to touch. God tells you in his word. If you want to know how God would have you react and what he's going to hold you responsible for, it's in his word. If you want to know what actions he would have you take in your life, about school, about your job, about church, it's here in his word. He tells you how to make decisions, what he's looking for, and what he wants you to be responsible for. Spend time in God's word because we're all accountable to God. The second piece of this is, I think, a little more difficult. Um, I think, you know, that, that sounds odd, but I think it's more difficult because if God's the ultimate creator, then we can maybe see or give into that accountability to him a little easier, um, and we may not face it for a while. But the second one is accountability to the church. And I think that's something our world and us individually and even in ministry struggle with, is this idea that we need to be accountable to an organization. We need to be accountable to a church, an organized church and leadership. And it's tough because, one, we've got kind of an individualistic society, almost anti-establishment, right? And two, the church hasn't helped itself out. We see the church fall all the time. We see church leaders misstep, right? Uh, we see errors come out of the church. We've seen historically church heresy come out, divisions in the church all over. And so the idea that why should I have to be accountable to the church and its leadership is something that a lot of us struggle with. But even though it's a struggle, even though the church has misstepped, even though the church has seen divisions, God has still taught us in his scripture and demonstrates in Acts that we are accountable to the church and we are responsible to respond to the leading of the church. And I want to show you a couple examples of that today. I'm going to show you two examples. The first one, if you flip over to me with Acts 13, the first one is one that you may not have thought of before when it comes to accountability. But I want to press you on this one a little bit. The first one is in Acts 13. If you're in your map, it's the very beginning of the missional part of the church here. We've got in the end of chapter 12, the death of Herod. In the beginning of Acts 13, it's talking about the church in northern Syria, the church at Antioch. And there's a couple cool things about the church if you've never thought about it before. It says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. So it's talking about the makeup of this church. Who's attending this church? What kind of people, what kind of leaders, what kind of giftings at this church? And then it starts lifts, listing some people who are part of the church. And it says that there's Barnabas, and at the end of verse 1, there's Saul or Paul. Had you ever thought, I know we look at Barnabas and Paul, especially Paul oftentimes, and we're like, well, yeah, he's just a professional. He's, he's a missionary. Did you know that he was part of a church? That Paul was part of a church what would look to us today like membership of a church. And the other thing is, we'll see in a minute. So this church is here, and as we continue on, right, so that's there. If we go to verse 2, it says, while they were there, these, these teachers, these prophets, the members, the people that make up the church of Antioch, while they were there worshiping and, uh, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, send me, send, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid on their hands and sent them off. A couple of neat things. One, did you realize Antioch was a sending church, a missional church? It's pretty cool. 
that had people that were part of that church that were great missionaries. But this is a great picture of accountability here because while they could have served that church well internally, right? And we have people here, and that's a struggle we have because we have people that serve well internally. When the Holy Spirit says to send or tells the church to put people on missions or on ministry, even though it may be tough, it may be our best people, we are accountable to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and they were too. They prayed and fasted, and then they sent. They sent them off because they were accountable to the Holy Spirit, the leading of God as a church. But that's just the beginning of this accountability piece because there's another thing you need to see. Not only did they sent... But you'll read on, Paul, right, Saul and Barnabas, they went. At the leading of the church who they were accountable to, when the church gave them a command, when the church gave them a commitment, when the church gave them direction, at the leading of the Holy Spirit, because they were accountable to the church, they went. They went. And so I wonder for us, how do we respond when the church calls us? When the church calls us into ministry, the church calls us into the missions, do we realize we have an accountability to listen to the leading of the church and if in line with the Holy Spirit to respond? And it doesn't stop there. Here's the great piece of this. If you go through 13 and 14, um, it shows this awesome first missional journey for Paul and Barnabas and they go through a bunch of areas and towns and cities that um, I'll stumble if I try to pronounce. Um, but they go through all these areas and they're preaching the word of Jesus to the Jews and what happens is the door to the Gentiles is open. And it's this incredible thing that now they're preaching Jesus Christ and salvation has been opened to the Gentiles as well. But hear this, over in uh, verse 24, it says which areas they passed back through. And in 26, it says, and they sailed, this is 1426, and they sailed back to Antioch. After this missionary journey, they had been sent by their church in Antioch. They went and then they came back to the church. And what happened there is, verse 27, when they arrived in Antioch, they gathered the church together, declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They were sent. Did you realize that you're responsible to the church to report back how things are going in your ministry, how things went on missions, what you did, what opposition there is, what success there is? They did. They came back and reported because in sharing what God's doing in our ministry, what's in sharing what God's doing in the mission that the church has sent us off with, we can raise up the church. We can become a more united body of believer. We see God acting. We can unite around things and grow further in the message of the gospel. And so my challenge to you on this is, are you, one, being accountable to the commands of the church or the leading of the church in the Holy Spirit to go and do ministries? Are you being accountable to that and responding? And two, the ministries that you're in, the missions that you're on, are you reporting back to the church what's happening? Are you reporting back and growing and lifting up the body and raising up the believers in the works God's doing in your ministry? Are you bringing back the struggles so we can work through it as a church? That's part of accountability to the church. The next one is right after that. It's a different picture of accountability. And this is probably one we see more if we think about church and accountability. Coming right off of the end of 14 into 15, it says, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised, According to the customs, you can't be saved. And what happens is there's a dispute amongst this. And so we get Paul and Barnabas. It says they had no small dissension and debate with them. Right? So there's a dispute around an issue. There's a dispute what's going on in the church. There's an argument between believers what's happening. And the church 
has accountability as well. The church has accountability to God and its people to take on these issues and resolve them. People are accountable to bring them to the church, not take it out in public, not, not go and blast, you know, blast people out there in public or shame people or run away from it, but to take their issues to the church whom they're accountable, and the church has to respond. And I want you to see how the church responded. At the end of verse two, it says, Paul and Barnabas and some of the elders were appointed, uh, some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. When there's dispute within the church, when there's dissension, when there's hurt, when there's disagreement within the church, we have a responsibility to bring it to the church and have it resolved in a way Christ would do. I want you to see how this works itself out. At the end, what happens is they take it to the the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, and they pray through it, they talk through it, they, they look at Scripture to see what Scripture would say, and then they write a letter of how this should be resolved to send back to the church in Antioch. And it says in verse 30, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. So they delivered this letter, this resolution. There was a conflict. There were dissension. There was disagreement. And so they're delivering back what the church would do, what the church's response is after consulting the Holy Spirit. And here's what they say. It says, and when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. I think it's an awesome picture. That, too, is a picture of accountability. See, it doesn't say, well, they didn't agree with the ruling, so they left and separated. It doesn't say they disagreed with the ruling, so they started mocking them and laughing. It doesn't say they disagreed with the ruling, so they created a bigger divide. No, they've got accountability to the church and a responsibility to learn and accept the leading of the church as led by God coming down. It says they rejoiced of its encouragement. And so I'd ask you with this one, what does it look like in your lives to be accountable to the church. Are you listening to the leading of the church? Right? Are you responsible, being responsible for your decisions? And are they decisions God would have you make? And are you reporting back what God is doing in your life, in your ministry, and on mission? The last one I'll cover is probably the hardest of the three, and it's accountability between believers. And this one's hard, I find, because this is the most it it feels the most intimate of the three. Because between believers, this isn't you, an individual in a large organization of the church and more official stuff, you and yourself in relationship with God. This is you and another believer who you interact with, see, live life with. And the idea that you can be intimately, you know, in relationship with them, sharing your struggles, sharing your successes is something that's terrifying at times. But through that, what can happen is God can do so much good because when we are in relationship and trustful relationships and intimate relationships with each other and we share where we are seeing each other or we are seeing ourselves fall away, we can then in relationship bring each other back and lift each other up through Christ. And I want to show you one example of that. If you turn with me to chapter 18, we're going to be in verse 24. What happens here is we've got the scene set where Paul... Um, leaves Athens and he finds this couple, Achilla and Priscilla, and he lived with them, doing ministry with them. And as we walk through chapter 18 all the way up to, to verse 23, they're going in some different areas. Paul is returning to Antioch, and we find ourselves in verse 24 in Ephesus. You'll find that on your map. So we're in Ephesus, Priscilla and Achilla are there, and it says, A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. 
He was an eloquent man, competent in scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and been fervent in the spirit. And he spoke and taught accurately concerning Jesus. This was a man who was learned, who was eloquent, who was fervent in the spirit, and who was teaching Jesus to people. And it says, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he was teaching fervently and accurately the spirit of Jesus, but he was getting part of it not quite right only teaching this baptism of John and not teaching this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is Priscilla and Aquila are there and it says, when he is speaking boldly in the synagogue, they heard him and took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. If you're in your NIV, it actually goes more intimate. It says they took him into his home and explained to him the way of Jesus, this Holy Spirit baptism more accurately. And there's an opportunity there where they could have just said, you're wrong, right? made fun of him, mocked him in public. They could have just dismissed him and said, well, I'll have to fix that later, right? But they don't. They pull him into relationship and they grow through that and pull him back and say, here's actually what you should have been teaching. Here's actually what you should know. And out of it, I want you to see how God uses that. Coming out of that is a picture of fruit and health because it says in verse 27, uh, then when he whisked across to Achaia after this, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, and he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Through relationship between believers, through accountability and responsibility to pull each other back towards Christ, we can all be raised up and see the power of Jesus and his ministry expand in great ways in great ways. So I'd encourage you for this. I find that, that accountability finds its way all through Acts. It supports the growth of the church. It supports ministries. It keeps us in line and growing with the message of Jesus Christ. And so as we close today, I ask you, what does accountability look like in your life? When you make decisions, choices, and see your actions, do you know what God would have you choose and what you will be accountable for? When it comes to the church and it's asking you, when you hear things like we heard today about Alpha, right, or praying for your three, if the Holy Spirit's leading you, if you're feeling that push or somebody's leading you from the church to a ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, there's a table for this out in the back. Are you being accountable to the church and going? Are you being accountable to the church and praying like they're asking you to for who your three are? Are you finding yourself saying yes and going into a missions field or a ministry? And are you reporting back the things that are happening? We want to hear. And lastly, do you have someone you trust and are in relationship in your life? That you can grow each other spiritually together, that you can grow each other more closely to Christ in struggles and in celebrations. I think it's going to raise all of us up as a church and keep us bound closely to Jesus together if we're a picture of accountability. Let me pray. Father, I, uh, I, thank you for, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your, your word that gives us guidance and direction and understanding of how we are to act. I thank you for your church and how you've structured and leaders you raise up and your people who come in. I thank you for hearts that are willing to be responsible. And I thank you for our ability to have relationship with each other. Lord, let this accountability be a burden on all of us as we move through this next year, this church, and when it comes to committing to you and your message, Lord. I ask these things in your name. Amen.